Hello and welcome. This is bonus episode on relationships. Uh, hot topic, I'm sure. There is uh, relationships, as we discussed in the beginning, encompass everything. You know, you have a relationship with your friends, with your parents, with your with your loved ones, your hated ones. Everything is a relationship. Any interaction you have with another person. Thankfully, we narrow this down to uh, romantic relationships. We're talking about dating and marriage and sex and all that good stuff. Uh my guest this week to discuss relationships is Celeste Smith. She is a licensed professional counselor with a master's in education, and she is going to be uh, answering a lot of questions, including some of the guest questions. Not guest questions, listener questions, you guys. <laughs> so uh, listen for that, and if you asked a question on Facebook, uh, I assure you we answered it. Didn't miss any of them, though some of them, I, I don't know. Well, you'll hear. Enjoy. I uh, hope you guys can get something out of this. I definitely did. Here is your bonus episode about relationships. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Have you done anything like this before? Um, no. Okay. I don't think so. Well, <laughs> I want to have you on here because you are a professional in the realm of counseling. And you, I'm guessing you talk to a lot of people about their own relationships with with people Mm -hmm. and relationships. uh, Obviously we aren't uh, human without, without them to some capacity. Yes. And there's a lot to cover. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There is. I'm excited. (laughs) Um, So what are the, I guess right off the top, I mean, relationships in general, like what does that word mean in your field? Like how do you see that manifest itself with your clients and everything? Mm -hmm. So um, relationships, I think you just said it very well. That's a part of who we are as humans. Um, That's actually like the opening paragraph of my dissertation. We as humans, we have this, this desire, this natural want to feel loved, to feel belonged, um, to feel connected. And so relationships are, um, a big part of who we are and what we don't realize is that a lot of our issues that we experience are relational based um whether that be some issues that were connected to like our um, caregivers growing up whether that be we're experiencing some relationships with our partners our friends most almost all of my clients come in with some issue that's based in some type of relationship that yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we talk about trauma a lot on here, and yes. especially childhood trauma. And I mean, that's that's all based in your relationship mm-hmm. with somebody. With exactly, your child, exactly. Right? Yes. Just to narrow the field, because like as you just said too, that's that covers parents and friendships. And mm-hmm. when people hear relationships, a lot of time they jump right to the uh, like romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. You're dating your mm-hmm. boyfriend, your husband, whatever yes. that looks like. Uh, so, I think. I just wanted to narrow the field to which kind of relationships we're going to talk about. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously we could talk about oh, relationships yeah, with yeah. your parents for mm-hmm. an entire episode. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and then mm-hmm. friendships. And um, actually, I think friendships will probably enter into this when talking about dating and yes. and crossing over mm-hmm. those, those boundaries. So I guess starting with romantic relationships, uh, with meeting that person and dating and what society puts on you, like have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or waiting till marriage for uh sex or whatever that looks like um i don't know if there's a question in there <laughs> <laughs> no i hear you almost like 
what are like essentially how are people socialized to view these romantic relationships and yeah. how do I guess how much do how much of a role do your parents play in setting like what you're looking for is that too deep I don't know. no no that's <laughs> actually very a very good point so I feel like there are so many things that um, impact one's views of romantic relationships um, so you talked about um, almost like this is there an age I should be married by yeah. um, should I be married before I have children um, you'll see that obviously that's very individualized but in some way shape or form family um, society friends all of those things impact that so whether you have family you come from a family full of married women and they're looking at you to also be married whereas for me i come from a family where none of the women are married um and so i've never really had that expectation to get married however i have clients who are what mid-20s and they're like i'm not even dating most of the women in my family have been married they they achieve marriage at this point and so they feel almost like that they're doing something wrong, something is wrong with them, right? So you do have those family expectations um, and those those societal expectations too. So I think I told you before that I'm doing my dissertation around relationships. And uh, a lot of what I'm finding is that, especially in the literature, is that people have this this age where they think okay this is the time to be married by and a lot of that is looking real late 20-ish early 30-ish and um people think that this is this age where you're supposed to achieve marriage when i've never seen a book written about this yeah. is the age that you know and it seems so. like that age gets later as time goes on too with yes. each generation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Literally. pushing it back yes yeah. the literature <laughs> is saying that right now so First of all, marriages are happening less. Yeah. Um, they're happening at later ages, and then divorce is becoming more common. Uh, do you think the rate of divorce is one of the deterrents for people getting married? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think because most people into marriages, and that's their biggest fear, right? Yeah. Divorce. And so you hear these rates of how all of these marriages are um, ending. Um, Last time I checked, it was like 50%. Um, that may be a little bit off, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. Um, and that's scary to think that more marriages are failing. And so as human, we try to protect, we, as humans, we try to protect ourselves and our way of protecting ourselves is to not put ourselves in a situation that could potentially hurt yeah. us in the first place. Right. So Don't yeah. try and you can't fail. Exactly. Yeah. Where you, it's kind of the opposite though, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you don't try, you're essentially kind of failing, yeah, yeah. right? Well, that's a, because it's funny, that's one of my like insecurities with being a father is like, what if I'm a crappy father? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and then I guess marriage would probably be the same thing for a lot of people that might have had divorced parents. Like I had divorced parents and, mm-hmm. but marriage was never really something, I don't know, it didn't really scare me, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, being a father is freaky as hell. Yeah, <laughs> so, I imagine. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what that pans out as. Yes. Um, under the category of pressures from society, I wanted to cover as age. Um, where do you think some of that stigma comes from, and what are we? What is that like now in society? Are you saying that um, being okay with the age differences? Yeah, like as you get older. I mean, are you seeing the people? I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, but people. <laughs> tend to stay with their own group um where does that stigma go away like at what age is does it not really matter do you think hmm. 
and I also think that that one is very, uh, in my master's program, we had a, a joke that whenever you answer, ask a question to your professor, most likely you'll get the answer. It depends. Yeah. And so I hate that I'm yeah. going to give you that answer. Yeah. It really just depends. Um, so again, you have a family structure where if dating in your age range is the norm, and let's just say you have so many other toxic um, expectations or um, ways in that family structure, and you want to deviate from that, then you may say, you know what, I don't want anyone in my yeah. my age range, right? And so you want someone who's much older or someone who's much young, younger. Um, what I'm also see is that a lot of times um, your your attachment with like your parents back in childhood also yeah. dictates that. So let's just say you had a father and that father um, was not there or did not, you feel like they may have been physically absent or emotionally absent or either both. And then it may lead to someone dating older men, right? Now yeah. I'm not saying that all women who date yeah. older men are looking for someone who was father-like, yeah. but what you do see is those, again, those relationship with parents kind of, repeating itself in the way that what you date whether it's because i didn't have dad i want to date older man or whether it's because dad told me not to date older man that yeah. i want to date older man do you think the same argument could be made if you were really close with your father maybe you seek out someone that's like your father yes. which happens to be older yes. men. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So or it could be those same traits in someone who is in your age group yeah, yeah. so it depends yes it depends <laughs> <laughs> um so dating and thank god and I don't know. I don't know your situation, but if you're dating, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just I don't. I don't understand how people navigate uh, dating in the age of social media. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I I started dating my wife like right when Facebook was like public instead of to the university. Mm -hmm. So like mm -hmm. like the good old year of '06. So I didn't have to deal with like Bumble and Tinder and mm -hmm. like the laundry list of stuff and even the dating websites that were out there now they're apps and they're almost as from what i understand like as easy as uh you know the tinder like swiping and stuff mm -hmm. i sound like an old man it's yeah. fine but uh <laughs> so i what kind of pressure does that add to people that are seeking out a relationship i mean what what kind of obstacles are people running into with this kind of like new age of dating with mm -hmm. with social media involved mm-hmm in some ways, what I've what I've found is that social media is helping um, people in their dating endeavors. And the way, the reason that I say that is because social media has become like this platform for us to be authentically ourselves, and we can say what we want, and we may have some judgment, but we're not faced with that judgment, like yeah how you and I are sitting face to face right now yeah. right and so in some ways you're protected but then even then you can limit who sees or interacts with your um post and so in some ways you're protected and so what you'll see is that people may show more parts of themselves on social media that they may not give you on a date and so that way you see that part of them and you're like hmm they're much more free and open on facebook um, I read these posts, this really doesn't go with what I view. Yeah. And so in some ways, it's helping us to kind of pull back the layers that we're not actually seeing in those face-to-face -face interactions. Okay. Um, but also, some of that is 
Facebook or social media is sometimes a show that's not, sometimes it's a different yeah. parts of ourselves. That's that, why Rodan's going to like, I got to push back on that yeah, authenticity thing. Uh-huh, <laughs> right. So then there's a, a part of us where it's like, this is not really our true selves. Yeah. And so um, in that ways, I feel like it can be damaging to relationships as well, too, because um, you're not putting out your true selves. And so people may become attracted to what you're posting and things like that. And that's not truly who you are. Um, so in some ways it's hurting, but other ways I think it's, it's helping us. Yeah. I get, I get concerned that, I mean, not for me, thank, once again, <laughs> thank God, <laughs> but um, I get concerned that uh, this is based on my experience, like growing up, like with AOL and chat rooms and everything. Um, the more you socialize on there instead of in person, the more you kind of lack those social skills in person and kind of goes back to what you're saying about like, who are you on there compared to here and how do you kind of merge those two people? So I feel like it's a lot of, a lot of, not necessarily catfishing, but maybe like inadvertently yeah. catfishing, yes. you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It may not the looks, but the personality that yeah. you're kind of, yeah. Like, oh, you're hilarious online, but in person you don't talk much. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just adds a whole other level of obstacles, and but I, I can see where it can help, but I feel like maybe it helps. <laughs> Does it? Do you ever hear things where it gets toxic in the way that like you can really research someone before you go out with them now? Yes, that, that that's what I mean. That's what I mean by why you can it can help. So, OK, well, I'm engaged, so I'm not on any dating sites yeah. that I've never used any dating apps or anything like that. So um, let's just say you do meet someone on a date. I have enough clients where I, I've become familiar with the terminology, right? Where you are on Tinder and you swipe that shows very limited information about this person, right? Yeah. All you have to do is do this fancy thing called copy and paste their username, right? <laughs> you stick it on Facebook, yeah. and then you're seeing Facebook, you're seeing their, like I said, their posts, yeah. the type of pictures and things like that. That's giving you a whole nother element of what you probably can't see on a Tinder app. Yeah. Um, and then that could very much so cancel that date before it has even started, right? Yeah. So Facebook has saved your life because, yeah. right? Um, but not for the guy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he just lost a date. That's, and that's, I'm trying to flip that coin a little, but, and it's, this is what it reminds me of. Um, I had a guy in here a few episodes ago, Antonio, uh, and he talked about when he was trying to date, he got a felony when he was like 18 for mm-hmm. like weed or something. And the girl's parents looked him up online before they ever met him and found his felony and were like, immediately were like, he's bad for you. Mm-hmm, <laughs> he's mm-hmm. like, I was like, 12 years ago and yes. I never got a chance with her. So like, I feel like in that way, you know, um, the internet can be deceiving. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, that, that'd be my only concern there. But once no, again, for the third time, one. super excited. I don't have to be concerned about <laughs> right. that. Um, but that does kind of segue into the next, uh, pressure you might feel. And that's from family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause whether that's, uh, your siblings are getting married and you're still single or, uh, your parents just want you to, where are you? I mean, I'm married and we get the grandkid question, you know, mm-hmm. so, uh, but mm-hmm. just, just dating before we jump ahead to kids. Um, how's that pressure? How do you see that in your, in your clients and stories? And- yeah, I think that that pressure, uh, what happens is clients hear these stories of where they should be yeah. or what they should have. Um, you should be married you should be having me some grandchildren right and when you're not doing those things or you're not where you hope to be but also where family or parents 
people like you to be, you start to internalize that as there is something wrong with me. All of the women in my family, let's just say, have gotten married at this age, but here I am single. What's wrong with me? But then there becomes, okay, something's wrong with me. I'm also breaking family tradition. And so all of this is underlying because I'm not in a relationship yet, right? And so it becomes deeper than just that relationship, but um, more about like a hit to to the... to the ego and to the the sense of self of what am I doing wrong that I couldn't achieve what everybody else has. Do you think a lot of that pressure from parents is just kind of projecting like when we were your age, we were married or, you know, like you're going to, you're 30. We ate a kid when we were 30. We we need some grandkids. Do you think that's just projecting what they, their experience was onto their kids? It it could very much so be that, or it could be that, um, Let's just say you have a parent, right, of a child who has not achieved marriage by age 30. And again, that's breaking the family tradition. So would that reflect poorly on me that you haven't gotten married? And so then there's some pressure on you as my child because I don't want you to make me look bad. And I don't want our family or, um, yeah, our family to be the person to kind of break that tradition. So it could be a lot of that projection of what they're experiencing internally. Yeah. And how you not getting married may make me look or make me feel. <laughs> Families are crazy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say you meet somebody and you do do the dating. And for some reason, social media works and you uh, <laughs> decide to get married. Um, I mean, most people, most people I know at this point are married. And that's, I mean, I think it fits in my age group. <laughs> um, <laughs> and if not long-term relationships or divorced mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's also already happened yes. me and my wife joked i mean sadly joked it's not i guess it's not funny even though i keep laughing um because <laughs> we were together eight years before we got married mm-hmm. and all the weddings we went to during the eight years like half of them are divorced oh. <laughs> so we're like, it's mm-hmm. not it's not bode well for mm-hmm. our chances mm-hmm. um things are going great though but once you are marriage, uh, or marriage, once you are married, mm-hmm. uh, that enters in now a whole new set of, uh, I don't want to say obstacles, but let's say obstacles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, I mean, let's venture down there, right? Cause that's, that's a whole jungle gym of yes. craziness. Uh-huh. Uh, some people don't live together until they're married. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on, on living together in general? Because you can learn a lot. I mean, I personally think living together before you're married is, is the most. Mm-hmm. Um, even though that goes against like some people's religions mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. But what? Uh, I mean, what's your take on that? Because that's you can learn a lot about people. Yes, when you live with them. Yes. <laughs> so, what research is showing is that um, essentially cohabitating is one of the reasons that marriage is becoming less common. It's almost like it's replacing marriage of that. Almost, it's basically like you're getting the marriage feel. Yeah. It feels like you're married, right? So why do we have to go ahead and take the extra step to... to For the tax break. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to actually get... <laughs> to actually um, get married. And so um, in some way... If I'm talking to me personally, yeah. I think <laughs> living together before marriage can be helpful. But like you said, a lot of people that may go against their religious beliefs or family beliefs or family traditions, again, we, that's going to keep coming up. Um, 
And so everyone has their personal preferences, but again, cohabitating seems to be one of the things that um, they're calling it the, the, the deinstitutionalization of marriage. And one of those factors is, co is cohabitating. And so I think that that is a factor that is really important. And people are saying that, hey, this is so good that we don't even need marriage. Yeah. I remember living, because we lived together for a while, but it was never, cohabitating never felt like marriage to me, though. Mm -hmm. It's just because it was, uh, I mean, I guess if we bought a house, maybe. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. <laughs> even, in, you know, a lease always seems short term. Yes, like you're still yes. not committing to anything longer than a year at a time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then a marriage is, you know, you're in. Yes, for <laughs> so sure. It's a... Uh, I can see where the mindset would replace that, but that's a, I don't know, a personal experience. I would mm -hmm, say. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yep. You're right. I mean, I think there's so many other factors that kind of goes along with that. So. And weddings are expensive. Oh, <laughs> I think I told you I'm engaged. So I, yeah. I feel that one personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We set a budget very early on and that budget went out the window very mm -hmm. quickly. <laughs> I talked a little bit about this with you when we met up and, I think I th think you said you weren't familiar with her, but Esther Perel, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and that she points out uh, something that kind of relates to a lot of the topics that we were going to discuss as far as marriage goes, and that is uh, what marriage is today, modern marriage compared to like old old timey marriage, mm -hmm. <laughs> ancient marriage. <laughs> um, but and, and I've brought this up on this podcast. Listeners are going to be rolling their eyes right now because I've said it so many times. <laughs> But it's, you know, you go from the marriage where it's two families coming together um, almost as a land contract, you know, and now it's that person is your everything. They're your best friend. They're your audience. They're your, they're your obviously your, your um, sexual partner, your mm -hmm. housemate, whatever, every person in your life, for the most part, like mm -hmm. they're checking a lot of boxes. Yes, yes. <laughs> um where do you stand on that being realistic? Uh, and then where do you see that in finding balance and where that person like might not be that check one of those boxes? Mm -hmm. I think that that's a, a very good question. So you're right. You spend so much time with this person. Your lives are pretty much one very intertwined yeah. right and so you do become heavily reliant on that person to check a lot of these boxes you're expecting this person to check this box but is that person okay with being checked for that box yeah let's just say the whole you're my best friend thing right everyone always yeah. says i'm getting i'm getting to marry my best friend i'm guilty of that <laughs> um and so you you become you get to do everything with this one person right but then does your mate some is there is there are they an introvert do they need some some alone time yeah. is that hang i don't know the definition of what you had as a best friend before yeah. does your mate meet that expectation are they able to i don't know do you want to hang every weekend do you want to make a bar trip once a month or things like that yeah. the best friend that you're looking for can your mate fulfill that and if not then maybe you should also other have other best yeah. friends as well, right? <laughs> and it's about not putting the pressure on your mate. Um, and being, I think what's most important is having an expectation and communicating the expectations of what those boxes look like, right? Yeah. So if they're checking the box of housemate, what is a housemate? 
Oh, what does that what yeah. does that role look like? Are you asking me to do laundry? Are you asking me to cook? <laughs> are you asking me to clean? Are you saying that we're going to share these responsibilities? Yeah. So I think that that's the, I think balance comes from that having the expectations of what the what does this box mean, and what ways can you feel that, but also what ways do I need to also feel that myself yeah. or seek outside. So, so you can have the the support system box, right? Um, I feel like my fiance is a big part of my support system. However, I don't want to heavily rely on him for that. He can't support me academically. He's yeah. not in a doctoral program. And so the balance would be me um, relying on a you interview Rachel. Yeah. Relying on Rachel or um, Katrina or all yeah. of these other people who are in the doctoral program who could support me in that way. Um, so I think, again, going back to the expectation of what that box, what, what does that box mean? And it sounds like, I'm going to tie this all together. Uh, it sounds like <laughs> what it really comes down to then is communicating with that person what works and what doesn't. Where yes. You, uh, and I say that communicating, I saw your, your eyes perked up. Uh, and it's funny. I want to just quick tell the story because mm-hmm. I felt I've, there's a moment of me feeling really stupid. Um, <laughs> but no, we met up, we were sitting at Starbucks and we we're talking about like what we could talk about for this. Mm-hmm. And I looked over and you wrote, the first thing you wrote down is communication. I was like, Oh yeah, of course. Like, <laughs> first I was sitting there. I was like, Oh, what over right? What to write? What to write? And you write down the word that essentially ties everything (laughs) together Mm -hmm. um and i think that's that's super true and i I have my own stories but would you say then communications number one in any relationship yes i think everything kind of falls back to communication (laughs) i just have to say this about the story i think the fact that you you know you're like what can i talk about and then he's like yeah obviously communication right yeah Communication isn't always just so, yeah, obvious, duh, yeah. right? And so I think that's where the, a lot of the issues come My in. My obvious comes, yeah, comes from, like, experience and not being obvious about it. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, so I think communication is very, 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 very important. Um, but I think emotions are kind of like the step before communicating. Like, knowing how you feel, um, being in tune with that, and then being able to communicate that to your partner. Yeah. Um, so it takes a lot of internal reflecting, self-reflecting, um, being tune, being in tune within self, and then being able to communicate that. So communication is key, definitely very important. But first is that self-reflective piece. I honestly think. Yeah. Well, yeah. I um, and I think that it's kind of been said in many many different ways, but you have to love yourself to love someone else yes um and i think part of loving yourself is really taking taking account and taking inventory of like yes. who you are and mm-hmm. maybe your flaws mm-hmm. <laughs> some mm-hmm. things you might need to work on for sure yes um, and is that what you mean by kind of knowing yourself is- yeah so what i mean is that a lot of times we communicate things so let's just say my fiance doesn't take the trash out right <laughs> and I'm upset that he didn't take the trash out. Um, But, and I communicate that to him, right? I'm upset that you didn't take the trash out. I think that that's important, but why is it, what is it about this trash that I'm really upset about? Yeah. And so I think that self-reflective piece of what is this really about and then being able to communicate that because a lot of times what we do is we communicate the wrong messages. So it seems something that surface level of I'm really upset that you didn't take the trash out. Right. When if I do a little bit more self-reflecting, I can see that I feel that 
all of my duties are always met without me having to be reminded. Yeah. However, I feel that I always have to remind you to do something, and sometimes that can be exhausting. Yeah. Now, me communicating that versus me communicating, I'm upset that you didn't take the trash out. Those are two totally different messages. Yeah. One, <laughs> I think the latter is definitely much more powerful. Um, and so I think that self-reflective piece of knowing exactly what it is that needs to be communicated yeah. is key. Makes sense. I was going to ask, like, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, and that's funny because we, we talked about this on here before where it's just uh, typically what you're upset about or what you're verbalizing what you're upset yes. about is not actually what you're upset about. Never. Um, yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not the trash. It's not, yes. the, it's not the dishes. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, yeah, mm-hmm. something bigger than that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the grand scheme of things. For sure. I feel like every, not everybody, but most people aren't 100% open about everything with their, with their partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to relate that to a couple other things that we're going to talk about. And, and some of that is uh, how you're feeling, you know, guys have this kind of hopefully coming over the hump of like toxic masculinity. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was talking to my father-in-law and he's like, oh, my generation, like you don't talk about how you feel you know right. uh thankfully I, I like to think i'm not that that person but mm-hmm. i know like a lot of my friends are like yes. you don't show that vulnerability and i know they do more with their wives obviously than they're going to with me but mm-hmm. um how do you see that in your like in your job i guess as a problem maybe with clients that their partner is not being open and vulnerable with them because maybe there's some sort of emotional blockage there or Mm-hmm. being vulnerable can be scary yes being vulnerable <laughs> is definitely very scary um it's it's very common i should say yeah. where um okay so as an individual therapist i my philosophy is that your child you are impacted by your childhood experiences yeah so i do a lot of exploring of the childhood and seeing how is that um, manifesting itself into the presenting concern that you're experiencing today in my office right yeah um and so I sometimes have to take that same approach with clients, with couples, I'm sorry. Um, so you'll see that, hey, here's this couple. Uh, male client is saying, um, so again, he's communicating, but he's not communicating exactly what it is that he's feeling. Yeah. So he's talking about, why aren't you taking the trash out? But that's not really what it is that he's communicating. And so because he's put a, a protective layer over what it is that yeah. he's actually feeling, that part never really gets communicated. So what happens is we end up, we'll end up spending an hour talking about the trash and it's not about the trash. Um, And so sometimes they become so disconnected from those emotions and that's the key to like that breakthrough in that session. But because they've become so not only disconnected from them, but protective of that, um, this weak, very vulnerable spot as they see it, that what happens is we stay so surface level and no real work gets done. And so when I'm noticing that it's happening, I'll just exactly say that. I'll say everything that I just told you. Hmm. Um, and then I'll try to explore some of that. So help me understand what is it about this that you're trying to protect? And why do you see this thing as being so vulnerable? Help me understand why is emotion, why are emotions vulnerable to you? Um, and then you will find that a lot of, I was told that 
showing emotions are weak. Women are supposed to do that. You're not supposed to cry. And then we talk about how instances that, that, that you know, being strong or not showing your emotions probably have worked in their favor. Yeah. But then I'll, like, highlight how that same thing that has worked for you and has made you so strong and has been so functional for you is causing all of the dis- this dysfunction now in your relationship. Yeah. So what has worked over there is not working over here. And that's the reason that you're here. So as long as you continue to protect that in this space, we'll keep talking about trash for hours on hours on hours <laughs> on hours. And that's not really doing anything. Yeah. So I, I really try to highlight the fact that, hey, this thing did work for you. That's why you do it. And I understand that that makes so much sense of why you want to protect this. But the same thing that you're protecting is hurting you right now. Yeah. So it's kind of it's a double edged sword. And so it's not working in this area. So maybe we should change things a little bit. Let's try Let's try to take some of that protection off and see if that works. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's very, as someone that's uh, kind of explored vulnerability and opened up a lot, like with myself, and I've never been like a, you know, like He-Man, G.I. <laughs> Joe type kind of guy, but uh, as you may guess from my hilarious exterior, um, but as someone that's done that, like I, I notice it in people and my friends that like clearly have those barriers up. Yeah. And it's somewhat unsettling because you kind of wonder, like, well, who are you, like, underneath? And uh-huh. and then I wonder if people deal with the issue, and maybe you can clarify if they do or not, <laughs> based on your experience. Um, so some, this is based on a lot of stereotypes, but, you know, stereotypes are based on reality sometimes, right? <laughs> so uh, women sometimes like, like a, the tough guy, like the protector, uh-huh. right? Um uh-huh. And I think a lot of guys might be scared that if they show emotion or show vulnerability and let that guard down, Mm -hmm. that their wife or partner, whoever, might not look at them as a protector anymore. You Mm -hmm. know, like, oh, you're never mind, you're weak. Uh, And that might be a fear. And maybe it's a realistic fear. (laughs) Maybe Mm -hmm. maybe that Mm -hmm. does happen. Yes. Uh, So I guess that would be my, my question. Is that something that... Is that something I'm making up? No, I can see that where it's like... If I show this part of myself, you like me for this, this sense of having a strong sense of self. And if I show you this, these emotions, will I not be viewed as strong? Um, So I guess, how do you combat that? (laughs) I combat that by saying, so she's telling you all of these things that she likes about you. And you're trying to live up to that. But then here we are. We're having these issues and she's saying that she can't get through to you because you're so closed off and that she wants you to open up. And you're thinking that if you don't do that, you'll do what she like. But she's essentially telling you what she wants you to do. (laughs) So, in fact, you're actually doing the opposite of what she likes. You are staying closed off and she's asking you to open up. And so, in fact, you're not meeting that. But then I also have to go back to, well, why is it that showing these emotions will make you weak? Is that what you think that she'll think? Or is that your thoughts that you're projecting onto her? That if I show these emotions, I'm going to be weak. Hence, she's going to see me as weak. Yeah. When you will feel weak is what really you're that you're experiencing. Yeah. It's just based on fear. Essentially. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like to say that we create these bombs in our head. Yeah. That... If I show her this part of myself, she she won't like that. And she'll start to distance herself from me. Yeah. And so 
that's the bomb, right? She'll distance herself from me. Well, the fact, the more that you close off and don't do that, she's going to distance herself from you because You're distancing that's distancing yourself from right, her. <laughs> exactly. So you, the bomb yeah. that you created this fake bomb, and then you, you start to act in a way in which this fake bomb is going to go off. The next thing you know that you're, you're actually creating it. You are going to make this bomb go off because your fear is that she's going to disconnect. But the thing that you're doing is making her disconnect. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that makes sense. That, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> kind of a, uh, you're kicking yourself in the foot. I don't know if that phrase made sense, but I think you know what it's talking about. Yes. Shooting yourself in the foot? Yes. I was, I was like, wait, how does someone kick themselves in the foot? That's a, that's a listener question. Go ahead and send in your answer and put an illustration form, please. Uh, sticking with communication, I want to move on to the next subject because mm-hmm. I think this is well, there's a lot of communication involved here. Um, and that is sex life. So this is, I mean, this is a big one from my experience and this is talking to other people. Uh, and you can see, we got some listener questions that we're going to talk about later. And I think mm-hmm. most of them are about sex. In some yes. degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but communication with sex. So there's, there's a lot there. There's, uh, your sexual past. Um, how much does your partner need to know? Mm-hmm. Like, does it matter? Uh, what you like sexually? Are you communicating that? Are you comfortable with your own sexuality and in, in, within your relationship? Yes. Um, what kind of roadblocks, uh, what kind of issues do you see most commonly when it comes to sexuality and communication within relationships? The way that I begin to conceptualize how clients are having difficulties with sex is first by whether or not they're willing to name it. So usually if clients do not c- come out and just say sex, yeah. you could sense if there is some discomfort yeah. with it, right? And so they'll talk around it and I'll say, I'm hearing you talk about this subject, but I'm not actually hearing exactly what it is that we're talking about. Can you name it? Or I'll say, are you referring to sex? Hey, I broke the ice for you. There you go. Right. <laughs> to show them that, hey, yeah. I'm comfortable with it. And we too in this room are going to have to be comfortable with it if we're going to talk about it, right? I can't, I can't talk about the trash. We talk about the trash, right? Yeah. Imagine spending a whole. Let's just say trash for sex. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine spending a whole hour not saying the word trash, but just talking about accumulation of things that we don't want in the house, wasted food, things like that, right? So that gets very complicated. Yeah. So I just label it. Okay, we're talking about sex. And so I try to normalize it, first of all, that, hey, I always go to, we are human. Yeah. We have this, we have these desires, these urges. Yeah. They're there. Let's talk about them. Um, but once you break down that barrier in terms of like wanting to talk about that, um, and then I, like I said, I normalize it that this is something that we should be talking about. Um, I try to understand what the issues are with it. And what I find is that most people are not communicating their expectations or their needs or their wants because there is that discomfort. And so what I try to do is model that within the session is showing that, hey, this is okay subject to talk about. We should be talking about this, which then kind of opens the communication in itself because there is this comfort level that goes up with talking about sex. Is there an... Is there a level of oversharing with um, your sexual history or sexual experiences? Like, just on the note of communication, you want to be open with the person you're with, right? So, 
is there just like social media is there an oversharing point like do you believe that each partner needs to know like oh how many people you've been with what kind of like things you've done or is it just you just find your own comfort zone with each other Whenever, if so, if a client were, if a, a couple were to come to me and they were asking questions about their their um, mate's sexual history, yeah, um, there's a reason that they want to know. So, what my approach would be to explore where are these questions coming from. Okay. What would knowing this information do for you? Yeah. Um, what are the reasons that you're asking these questions? Is it because you have done some things in your sexual past and you want to feel validated knowing that your partner has done the same? Is it that you're trying to determine the type of person your partner is by their sexual history? Um, So I always try to seek to understand the reason that these questions are being asked. However, whether or not the information is important to them, that's up to them to determine. Yeah. Right. So I always want to explore the why, but if they can come up with the reasons why it's important, um, I think that that's totally up to the couple. So it depends. Yes. Is there (laughs) such thing as oversharing with your with your partner? Um, I do think that I think this is the feminist in me that's coming out that you have the right to share whether you're a man or woman. Yeah how much or other, you know, however you identify, not only just man or woman, you know, however you identify on the spectrum, um, you have the right to share what you want to share about your sexual history. Just something. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just simple. Um, So this is, uh, I'm just going to jump right to it, Mm -hmm. but with the amount of, the alarming amount of women that experience some sort of sexual trauma in their childhood or or any time in their life because it's alarmingly high and that Mm -hmm. always concerns me um Mm -hmm. that obviously is going to play some sort of so uh psychological role in how they view sex right especially if it happened at an earlier age how does that um trauma play into building a healthy sexual relationship inside of a marriage like again with the communication like how open is that something you deal with personally is that something you share is that something you know what i mean does that does that line of questioning make sense yes that makes sense <laughs> um i think again that's totally up to the woman if they yeah. want to share that with their partner um however you may i may have a couple who who's coming in they're having some issues with sex um the woman may not have shared that and um me, I'm, my goal is never to just fix the problem, but to understand why the problem is existing. And so it may take me some digging, right? Yeah. Um, and so if that comes up, creating that safe space for that, that the partner, the woman to tell her partner about this sexual trauma, if she chooses to do so. Yeah. Um, I do think that that needs to be worked on individually as well. Um, not always, but a lot of times I do... Um, <clears throat> A part of my treatment plan for couples is also receiving individual counseling because I don't provide individual counseling to the couples that I see. And so that gives her that space to work through it in the way in which she needs to work through it. Um, The ways in which she needs to work through it on the level in which she needs to work through it to kind of bring that back to the room and with a different um, approach. Or um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that that trauma will always be there, right? Yeah. We can't erase that, but the way in which it manifests itself, we can begin to manage. And so in managing that in individual counseling, 
and sometimes a couple's counseling is needed, yeah. then I think it'll help in moving a relationship forward. Okay. So I'm to move on to the thing no one wants to talk about. Uh, <laughs> and politely titled breaches of trust. Um, but so when something goes wrong in a marriage or, uh, or relationship in general, mm-hmm. um, whether that be something as bad as cheating or, um, some other violation of trust, what are some methods for recovering from that? Or can, can you recover from that? What, I mean, does it depend? <laughs> <laughs> I think the ways in which you recover, um, so I was creating, I was completing a practicum. So basically that's me um, seeing clients as a part of my coursework. Yeah. And one of um, my supervisors gave me this analogy. It's in the uh, marriage and family literature. And so basically what the supervisor told me is that, okay, what happens when you get your license for the state of Michigan? Let's just say, right, you take this test. This test kind of proves that you are worthy of driving. I'll give you your license, right? Yeah. But let's just say you get pulled over. You have this DUI. You've kind of broken our trust. Yeah. And so we're not going to take the license away from you, but there are going to be some things that you have to do to prove that you should keep your license, right? Yeah. So you may have to do random breathalyzer tests. You may have to do, I don't know, community service. You may have to yeah. do all of these things to show that you are worthy of like getting your license back fully. Yeah. And then sometimes the same happens in relationships where you didn't go through this test, so to speak, but there was a time period where you show that, okay, you are worthy of having my trust, and then you break that. And so the way in which I want you to prove that I can trust you again it may not be a breathalyzer, but hey, I may want to do phone checks every now and then. It may not be community service, but hey, I want passwords for a certain amount of time. You know, and so I think that couples have the right or the person whose trust who has, has been breached have the right to determine what those set of standards that they go through to get that to earn that trust back. Yeah. Um I, that was like elegantly put to me, and I I, I like that. I've yeah, no, been using that. It's a great comparison. <laughs> yeah, good, really good analogy. And so um, I think that, but then also not only how do you get the trust back, but focusing on how the hurt and the pain, because a lot of times the people who have broke the trust, what they want is okay. Let's just get over this. Let's just yeah. get over. Let's move past it. And then for the person who has been hurt, it's it's not that easy, right? You don't just move past it. So they don't have a lot of time to always process those emotions and really say what it is that they felt. Not only the obvious that they're that they're hurt, but what about impacts of self-esteem? That yeah. was I good enough? Things like that. Um, I think that that also needs to be processed through, um, in addition to whatever other measures that they may create yeah. to for you to gain that trust back. Just kind of switching subjects a little. Um, as somebody that got in a relationship when I was. I don't know, early twenties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've been with the same person ever, yes. ever since. Uh, I've grown a lot as an individual. Mm-hmm. She's grown a lot as an individual. Um, and then we've kind of grown as a couple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so sometimes you see that though, go in a different direction where mm-hmm. one person kind of outgrows the other, or uh, maybe they go in two different directions, especially in some of the more formative years of your twenties. I mean, brain fully develops and maybe mm-hmm. decide to be somebody else. Uh, 
what are some methods that you can grow grow together while growing individually? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know how better to phrase that. But. No, I like, I like that question. <laughs> um, what I've seen is that there are times where relationships end and people, um, they may come to me and they're like, my identity was this person's mate, was this person's partner, was this person's girlfriend, was this person's boyfriend. And almost like that was a big part of their identity that who do I look like without that? And so um, I encourage that when people are in relationships that this can also be a part of your identity, but what else does your identity look like? And how do you maintain those while also having this, this primary identity as someone's wife right um are you also i don't know like for myself i'm also an an educator i'm also a therapist i'm also a mentor i'm also a friend how do i also how do i maintain true to those parts of myself while also being someone's fiance um and so that's ways that people can continue to grow individually while also growing as a collective um almost like that we talked about checking these boxes. Yeah. Um, these boxes. Um, what boxes do you have of yourself? And what black, what boxes of yours are you neglecting trying to check this other person's box? Yeah. So making sure that you're checking your boxes at the main, at the same time that you're maintaining a sense of individuality. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the the question, "Who do I look like without them?" Because um, I think I, it's important to ask that. Even when you're in the relationship, mm-hmm. don't wait till you're not in a relationship yeah, to ask that right, question. Right, Because, uh, yeah, your personal identity, like your likes, your your hobbies, your, mm-hmm. your friends. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people, and I've been guilty of this at times, like in waves, but where you kind of, all of a sudden you stop hanging out with certain people mm-hmm. or certain groups, and, and you're just like, your identity is yeah that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um and that seems super unhealthy. <laughs> yeah, it can be. Yeah. And I think that that's important. Because like you said, like, wh- what are my boxes separate from this person? Yeah. And then how do I continue to meet these while also making sure that my partner's needs are met? Yeah. Yeah. So this is, I, I'm, I'm guilty of not fully knowing all of these. That's okay, though. Yes, totally <laughs> You're fine. You're the professional here. <laughs> um, but I do want to tell yeah, the love languages. So... I know what my wife says. I know what I think mine is, mm. <laughs> but we'll see. That's mm-hmm. it's open to modification. Every little test I've taken in the past, personality tests or like the uh, Meyer Briggs and stuff, yes. like taking them so far apart that I think some things have changed over the yes. years. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I don't know. I don't know where I stand now. I think I'll have to take some quizzes and find out. Yeah. But <laughs> what are what are all the love languages? Um, you have physical touch. Yeah quality time acts of service words of affirmation and um gift giving yes see, i th- see i think i'm physical touch i don't know mm-hmm. my, wife, my wife is acts of service mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> so the the reason why i wanted to bring this up is because i think that the love languages are very important um okay if i'm going back to the box metaphor we're, we're making sure that we're checking our partner's yeah. box. But sometimes the way that we do that is to, we think that we're meeting our, showing love to our partners. And we are, but sometimes we show love in a way that we like to 
receive it rather than our partner likes to receive it, right? So my number one um, love language is quality time. So I remember at the beginning of my, of my relationship, I remember my fiance will always, well, he's my boyfriend at the time of, do you really like me? Like yep. <laughs> those questions, I'm like, obviously I like you. I'm spending all of this time with you. We spend so much time together, right? That's what I'm thinking. When his um, love language is words of affirmation. So sometimes he needed to hear, yeah. I really like you. I really enjoy spending time with you. I think that we are, you know, doing good things and things like that. So a lot of times what we do is we try to meet our partner's love by showing them love in a way that we like to receive it versus showing them love in the way in which they want to receive yeah. it. So I think it's important that couples sit down and take the love language quiz together um, so that you can see what are your partner's love languages so that you can meet their needs in a way that their needs like would like to be met and vice versa. Yeah. Um, I think mine, after after doing this podcast for a while, I was like, I think mine might be words of affirmation. Because yeah. when people, like, it's my favorite thing when people reach out to me. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, yes. Yes. That pat on the back feels fantastic. Exactly. And it goes back to, it's funny, uh, when I used to supervise a bunch of people, we'd read all these like leadership books and stuff and it's it's kind of like just like managing a team in a way where you have to know how to uh, recognize each individual yes some people like want the words some people yes. need like a little trophy some mm-hmm. everybody's uh, a little different and they respond differently and if you know that you can be a much better leader yes and in this case a much better partner <laughs> a much better partner yes um now you wrote, what is the guilt? Guilt with love languages? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so what I've noticed is that, uh, so let's just say there is someone who likes to receive words of affirmation. And they're like, well, I don't, I don't want to make you, and I would say my fiance was guilty of this too. Like, well, I don't want you to feel like you have to tell me this all of the time. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to make it an inconvenience to you or really felt bad for this being their love language when the way that I normalize it is that well you know what this is so many people like so many people have the same love language that someone went and wrote a book about it and that you know that these are the top five for a reason and so it's not just you and if that's the way that you want to receive love that's okay let's just talk about how can we help each other to meet those needs but there seems to be whenever we talk about the love language well whenever i talk about the love languages to couples there seems to be some but i don't want you to feel like i don't want to and it's not if it's going to be too much. It's like almost like a sense of guilt. Like yeah. I feel bad for wanting to feel loved this way. And I always have to normalize that. Like you can feel love the way that you want to feel love. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing because so many people want it that they wrote a book about it. Yeah. So. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That there's so much, uh, have the automatic guilt involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ties, in, ties in a little with anxiety. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> right. Um, for couples that are struggling with something, whether whatever that be whatever that be whatever that may be (laughs) um whether that's an issue with the trash Mm -hmm. (laughs) or or something sexual or something financial whatever it is um what are some methods of approaching that when just outright saying it might not work or maybe you're uncomfortable with that i know like for instance my wife and i uh, when we were dealing with something I, i wrote a letter because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that way it's you know it's it's not a conversation there's no interruptions mm-hmm. it's just like thoughts on paper um 
what are some other methods other than writing a letter that couples can use in relationships to communicate when conversation isn't working? Mm-hmm. I think that that's actually a really good question. Um, I think, like you said, writing, that one is so helpful because, like you said, you have no interruptions and that person is kind of forced to listen. But then I think sometimes writing can take the emotion out of it, too, because you're writing about how how stressful it is to remind you to take the trash out, but they don't really understand the the depth of that stress, yeah. right, that you're not really getting on the paper this may be my my bias because I'm a therapist. I think that couples counseling would be helpful yeah. because it's funny to me because sometimes like a, a couple will say, I'll say something and then like you'll see one of the mates like shake their hair like, okay, I get it. And then the other partner is like, well, I've been saying that all of this time. Like, why didn't you hear it when I said it? Yeah. And it's like, well, we've kind of dismantled some of those barriers in the communication that was um, not making that message um, it was you were at a place where that message wasn't being able to be received, but since we kind of dismantled some of those barriers, and we've kind of built he- healthy communication, that message is able to be received. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think it's not masking why or um, by like trying all different types of different communication. I think it's understanding why isn't the communication working in the first place. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so we have questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, Celeste is the professional, but I'm going to offer my opinion on things. <laughs> so don't listen to me. Um, so this first one is from Joe. And I think I, yeah, I rephrased this question, but <laughs> I'll ask the original question. Uh, is sex on the first date a deal breaker, notably in a saturated community of gay dudes where if one doesn't offer up his services, it's assumed he's prude. Um, and it's, I mean, it sounds like this is about the expectation and, and kind of stereotypes of sex in the gay community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I already know what part of the answer of this is, I think, which is it depends. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'll, I mean, I'll let you answer. I have my two cents on this, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think that obviously it depends on the individual, um, So, okay, if I think it's about being true to who you are, if, if, okay, we talked about wanting to check other people's boxes so bad, right? But what about your own? So if you having sex on the first date is not something that you want to do for you, but want to do it for this other person, I think is that's worth exploring right so do you want to start off a relationship where you're making sure that you're checking someone else's boxes and neglecting your own so to speak so i think that that dynamic is worth exploring way early on before you know it's something as simple as the first date um and if this person is pressuring you for this thing or if it's a deal breaker to to them and that doesn't align with who you are then maybe that deal doesn't need to be met so to speak yeah um so the, the it depends but also who are you doing it for yeah is really important well that's and, and i i kind of feel the same way i'm it's if you're not looking for that maybe maybe break the ice by talking about that on your first day mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe that can be a topic mm-hmm. conversation at dinner set those expectations because yes. uh 
why enter into something that where like you don't have the shared values exactly exactly also i feel like that would be a stimulating dinner conversation (laughs) what's with the expectation of sex with us huh Mm -hmm. jeez (laughs) i'm not down with that exactly Um, weed that out early (laughs) so going right back to communication yeah Mm -hmm. um so yeah i don't i mean is sex on the first date a deal breaker short answer no (laughs) yes (laughs) it depends it depends Um, (laughs) that's gonna be your new favorite answer (laughs) it really is i think i already say that for everything (laughs) keep it safe um but I, i mean and i don't know what side of the argument he's on when he's asking that if he wants sex on the first date or if he doesn't want sex on the first date Mm -hmm. but it's uh yeah i i think find find someone with that same interest as you and then yes go from there Mm -hmm. um all right here we go this is (laughs) this is from uh, this is from this is communication this is from uh ian what should I? <laughs> this is a funny question. What should I do if my wife buys something from a pyramid scheme, um, <laughs> and doesn't want to hear about how I think they scam people? So, <laughs> this is communication again, right? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. your wife's maybe doing some spending. Uh, we didn't even talk about finances. Yeah. Like entering a whole, a whole other. other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but your wife's doing some spending that maybe you guys have a joint account and you don't necessarily approve of, but something she wants to do how do you breach that subject if you guys are in a disagreement about it (laughs) i'm going to go with what i just essentially said in the beginning a lot of times we don't communicate what it is that we're trying to communicate i will say exactly what it is the issue so is it about this pyramid scheme purchase thingy or is it more deeper concerns about the financial well-being in the family. So if it's just about this this incident, um, I will communicate that. Yeah. Um, when this thing happened, it turned I felt unheard in my efforts to explain that this is a scheme or this isn't really safe. Um, you purchased it and in a in turn, I felt unheard. Um, our finances is something that we do collectively, yeah. and I want this to be a, a, a mutual decision. And, you know, I think communicating it, but also not attacking the wife for making this purchase. Yeah. Because what can happen is if you become, you come attacking and expressing your frustrations, it would just be a defense match. Yeah. And then it's all of the message. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't want that. I know who asked this, and my answer is is meaner than yours. Oh, <laughs> my answer, answer is, uh, Ian, how much money have you spent on video game stuff versus how much money she spent on this stuff? <laughs> Find a balance there. She, you can p- spend money on your hobbies. She can spend money on hers, mm. even if you don't agree with her hobbies. Mm. I feel like mm-hmm. that's, I mean that would be my argument. I mean, you know a little bit more background. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, if it's a, if it's just a, if it's you're spending money on a hobby, I think we all do that. I mean, you can look around my basement right now. I have a thing of vintage action figures behind me like a child. So <laughs> <laughs> hobbies, uh, our partner doesn't have to necessarily understand our hobbies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you know, 
support that's one of the boxes my wife doesn't check is super nerd like (laughs) i gotta reach out to my friends for that yeah (laughs) Uh, moving on uh this is funny because we could have talked about this during dating but ghosting Mm -hmm. uh because that's got to do a number on your Mm self-esteem and uh yeah i mean let's can we talk about ghosting for a second yes is that because that's got to happen more now mm-hmm. with social media yes. and, and Tinder. And uh-huh. I imagine it might even get to the point where you walk into some place and then you see someone sitting there and you just turn around. Turn around, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or maybe you, uh, going back to the first question, maybe you do have sex on the first date and then you never hear from that person mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what are some ways to maybe avoid that or if it happens to you, get past it without damaging yourself too mm-hmm. much? So I don't think that there's a way that you could avoid ghosting or being ghosted yeah. unless you just don't you. date right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> unless you don't date just in general like that would be your safe the best way to do that but again that's not who we are as humans so that's very unrealistic for yeah. me to say um in terms of manage the feelings of being ghosted um i am a firm believer that what people do is a reflection of them and less of a reflection of you. There may be do something that you do that may trigger something within that person, yeah. but then ultimately it's that feeling that they have that makes them to do whatever it is that they're doing. And I mean this in different capacities. And so in ghosting, so let's just say you did have this amazing first date and you thought things that went well and then you don't hear from that person again. Well, that person must don't like greatness that they just, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, or they just, maybe what you have to offer doesn't meet with what they have to offer right but also knowing that this person ghosted me but that doesn't mean that i'll always be ghosted by other people right so managing that that this was limited to this one person i think a lot of times we generalize saying that well this happened once everyone's going to do it no this one person did it we may not know why but i'm sure that it was their own stuff and that this may not happen to everybody but then kind of giving yourself that reassurance and that validation what about the get you <laughs> yeah for sure for sure um the other part of this question is i already know the answer is it depends um, <laughs> what do guys think is an appropriate time for sex and intimacy with dating um this this question bothered me because i've learned uh through years of therapy uh but to separate those two in a way like sex and intimacy aren't necessarily the same thing Mm -hmm. um and intimacy can mean a bunch of different things Mm and i was about to say intimacy is more intimate but i guess that goes without saying uh and this is the same person that said ghosting with two exclamation points and i'm wondering i'm guessing i'm filling in blanks that Uh i don't know the answer to Uh but uh are they getting ghosted because they're not like having sex early yeah. or are they getting ghosted because they're having sex mm-hmm. early um and as far as when guys i mean as a guy i don't know when it feels right <laughs> like uh when i was dating a millennia ago um I, <laughs> I i don't think that was an expectation unless we're like our first date was us meeting drunk at a bar that might have been mm-hmm. an expectation mm-hmm. but um yeah i, I I mean, it depends. Is it a good answer for that? Yeah, it, it really just depends. We can't speak for everyone's personal preferences. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not a guy, so. 
I don't uh, know what goes through, goes through their heads. No, a I'm lot kidding. of weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. That one, that question just like hit a chord with me because she combines sex and intimacy. And uh, I mean, I've. I've had sex with a lot of people that I've never been intimate with, in my yes. opinion, you know? Yes. Um, and I think it, it takes a lot longer to be intimate with somebody than it does to have sex with them. Yeah, for sure. So for sure. I would say uh, that question is from Crystal. Crystal, you do what feels right. Yes. <laughs> and uh, separate those out if you don't already. That's my opinion. That's that would have been <laughs> my exact answer yeah. to make sure that sex and intimacy are that you're not looking at them as being one yeah. and the same. And once in a while when they cross lines, that's mm-hmm. pretty great. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, do you find that more people, do you find that people are more or less, uh, willing to put up with baggage in new potential partners as they get older? Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that question. I was reading. I was like, wait, what is that? Oh yeah. That one. That was the last one I got. I mm-hmm. added that late. Um, yeah. So as people get older, they're going to have more experiences behind them, which might add more quote unquote baggage. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also think is that it, it, that one would depend on, it's, it's more than just, <laughs> it depends, <Yeah>. <laughs> but depend on what that person considers to be baggage. So if you've been cheated on in the past and you carry around a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, and yeah. this person is like very confident that they're not a cheater and that they would never do you like that and they have no intentions to hurt you, that to them seems like it's not baggage because it's like, I know that I won't inflict that same pain. Yeah. Whereas someone who may have also um, been cheated on and also... Um, has a lot of hurt and a lot of pain that comes with that may say, you know what? You're just as damaged as I am. I can't deal with that. Right. So we have our different definitions of what baggage looks like, which would then determine our tolerance level for that baggage, so to speak. I wonder if they mean baggage as in like a divorce or, you know, like shared custody of a child. (laughs) Mm. Um, And I, I, I mean, I guess I read that as, I, 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 of course, project my own life in that. And I think mm-hmm. of like my, my mother dating in her sixties <laughs> and I'm like, and I've thought about that before. Like, what do you, what do you have to just like let brush out, like run off your shoulders and be like, at this point, you know, like the men I'm going to meet have, have to have something in their past. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, that. you know, if you're single at 60, something, you're, wife died or your mm-hmm. husband or whoever mm-hmm. or like or maybe you never got together or why didn't you mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever you're not addressed mm-hmm. so i get you the older you get um i guess that's how i read it like what are you willing to put up with does your tolerance level do you find that people's tolerance level with other people's bullshit gets higher the older they get okay i would say this from a personal standpoint i feel like um yes and no so Yes, like you said that, okay, when I reached the age, I knew that um, there are certain boxes that I wanted to be checked, but they may not have been the case. So, like, not having children, I realized that in my age group and, um, and in my community that a lot of people are having children. Yeah. And so for me to want to say no children, was that a realistic um, expectation for my potential partner. Yeah. Um, and so I've become more acceptant to the fact of like, when I was going through the dating phase of like, okay, 
you could you could you could have a kid you can't yeah. have more than one but you could have a kid that's fine um i guess i could yeah so i think that at some point depending on again what that baggage is yeah. if that baggage won't bleed over into and negatively impact what we have going on. So if you're going through a messy divorce and the divorce is still messy, <laughs> is that going to bleed into what we have going on? That type of thing. But I do think at, at, at some point you realize that the older you get, the more life experience you do accumulate. Yeah. Therefore, you're a little bit more accepting. Tolerate a little more. Yeah. 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 I imagine. I mean, I mean, I imagine you have to. Yeah. Just, you know, like, I don't think there's anyone fresh and, you know, 23 but actually mm-hmm. 60 walking around yeah mm-hmm. um plus i would i would question that even more i'd be more freaked out if you didn't yeah. have any life experience <laughs> oh, at you're that 60 point. and you're perfect what's like, going what? on <laughs> you've never done any of these mm-hmm. things um well, that's all i got for questions and that's all i think unless there's anything that we didn't touch on <laughs> i don't think so i think yeah. that was pretty much everything yeah <laughs> well thank you of course um, for coming and and talking about this and yeah hopefully we can do more of these in the future and all sorts of subjects for as sure. you saw from my laundry list I yes <laughs> all right you just listened to the bonus episode on relationships update i took the five love languages quiz um my my well, I have two, because uh, technically it's quality of time, but I scored second highest, only off by one, on um, words of affirmation. And on that note, I want to thank you guys for taking your time to listen to this. Obviously, that means a bunch to me because I understand how important your time is. So thank you so much, and please keep reaching out and leaving reviews. Uh, there's my words of affirmation. I love hearing that. It makes me feel so good, and uh, all those little things, the the likes and stuff, you know, you don't want to get obsessed about it, but I do love um, hearing from you guys, especially if one of these stories impacts your life. It, it really is amazing, and it's the reason I keep doing it. I hope you loved this episode, and more bonus episodes will be coming down the road, and I look forward to recording those and playing them for you guys and getting your feedback. Send me your feedback on this. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at FriendRequestPod or on Twitter at FriendRequestJL. And reach out to me via Facebook Messenger or Instagram, direct message, whatever you want to do there. Uh, Or call me if you have my phone number. And if you don't, uh, reach out and ask for my phone number. Maybe I'll just give it to you because why not? It's just a cell phone. Who cares? I love you guys. Thank you. Bye-bye.